Someone said we spend about 2% of our week at church and about 25% of our week at work. That's making some presumptions about how many hours you spend at work and at church, but roughly 2% at church and 25% at work. Why then at church is so much of the teaching about church and so little about the workplace? And what do you think of that? Is that a valid criticism? I think it half is. Half is. We could do with more teaching about what the Bible says about work. It has quite a lot to say about work. But don't judge the importance of teaching about church by what percent of the week we spend at church. Why should we hear again this morning about the church? Well, I hope I made the case for it last week. If you were here last week, you heard about the place of the church in God's plan. And its place is far greater than the percentage of the week that we spend together as a church. I want us to hear the case again for, actually, the church outranks the percentage of the week we spend here by hearing what the church is this morning. What is the church? God has chosen to give the church a role, a task that is so honourable and so necessary. Let's hear that from 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. If you've got a Bible, would you turn to 1 Timothy? I can't tell you a page number because we're all on different page numbers these days. I can just tell you it's towards the back of your Bible, just before a book called Hebrews. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. Actually, I'll read verse 14 as well to make sense. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. I want us to work backwards through verses 15 and 16. Now, these verses are in a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Timothy was a leader of a church in a town called Ephesus, in what today we call Turkey. And The order of these verses, of course, makes sense for that letter. But reversing them, I think, will help us with getting the message about what the church is and why it matters. So we're going to take them backwards this way. We're going to have, first of all, treasure, then a pillar, then a family. Very simple structure for us this morning. First of all, treasure. I think we can have a picture. And some tre- there we go, treasure, children. How would you describe what treasure is? You all hear about treasure, don't you? And you might think of pirates and treasure. Well, pirates and treasure, first of all, say treasure is something worth seeking. They go to a lot of effort to get treasure. You might go on a treasure hunt. Treasure is something worth seeking. Why? Because treasure is something valuable. Something valuable. I was going to say people also think treasure is something attractive, but that doesn't look very attractive to me. I don't think treasure is, but it is valuable. It's worth seeking and it's valuable. Okay, thank you, Daniel. I think we got the idea with the picture. 
Well, here is treasure. Verse 16 says, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. Mystery means something that was hidden like treasure and it's now been revealed. The treasure's been found. Godliness, here in in the context, godliness means truth to believe that should then shape your behaviour. That's what godliness means here. Now, what is this truth to be believed that should then shape your behaviour that was hidden and it's now been found, it's now been revealed? What is this that is so great? It says it's great. Well, it's the rest of the verse. Here's the treasure. Let's work through the rest of the verse rapidly to see the treasure. He appeared in a body. Who appeared? Well, it's obvious as we read on, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Son of God. He appeared in a body. What does that mean? Imagine this. You go to Leicester Royal Infirmary, to the Kensington building. What happens in the Kensington building? There's a woman in labour. There's a woman struggling to give birth and the midwife is helping her and on they go and eventually, at last, the baby is born and the midwife says to the woman, well done, he's appeared in a body. Congratulations, it's a boy, he's appeared in a body. Does she say that? Of course she doesn't. I doubt a midwife's ever said that. What does she expect him to appear in? A pair of pyjamas? He appeared in a body. It's a very odd phrase, isn't it? He appeared in a body implies here's someone who didn't have a body and now he's appeared in a body. What's going on? This person is the son of God. And as the children were hearing in my attempts with a bit of string, he had no beginning. He always was there. He wasn't a human. He was God. But there was a point in history, a date in history when he was conceived. And he got a frail, tiny body inside a woman's uterus. And then he appeared. He was born and he grew up and he looked totally ordinary. A body with hardened hands from years of doing carpenter's work. A a body that got cuts and bruises. Flesh, body, limited, very ordinary. No. He was, next line, vindicated by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed this was no ordinary human. At his baptism, through his authoritative teaching, by his miracles, by his perfectly resisting all sin. All of these were the work of the Holy Spirit vindicating this ordinary looking man who made extraordinary claims to be the son of God. The Holy Spirit was at work through his life vindicating him. Children, that means showing that what he said was true. But I've missed out the the biggest way. Above all, the Holy Spirit vindicated him this way. By raising him from the dead. Another part of the Bible called Romans chapter one, verse four, says this. Jesus, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Ordinary looking appeared in a body, but not ordinary. And that was vindicated, shown to be true by the Holy Spirit. And angels saw all of this. Next line. Third line in this treasure was seen 
by angels. Have you ever thought about angels seeing the Son of God become man and what they made of it all? Have you ever thought of Gabriel turning up in Nazareth and thinking to himself, the Son of God, whom I have worshipped all of my life in the throne room of heaven, is now going to live in this town and in this house. What did Gabriel make of that? Or what about the angels when they saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? The angels were made by the Son of God, and now they're sent to strengthen the Son of God because he's crying, and he's weak, and he's desperate for help. What did the angels make of that? What did the angels make of later that day and into the next day when they saw Jesus on trial? I wonder, did the Father, God the Father, have to restrain the angels? Were they saying, please let me go and smite those people? Because they didn't dare to look on the Son of God. We sang in the hymn, and you can read in Isaiah, they covered their faces before him. And there they saw Roman soldiers, these weak, sinful, foolish people, pushing him around and spitting in his face. What did the angels make? They must, they must have been astonished at God's plan for us and what the Son of God would do for us. Angels saw him, nations heard of him. This is the fourth. Imagine, imagine verse 16 is a box of treasure and we're picking out now the fourth piece of treasure was preached among the nations. Think for a moment of all the preaching about Jesus happening today. Today. Ten hours ago, Jesus was being preached in Australia. Eight hours ago, tens of millions of people were hearing Jesus preached in China. Think of that. Four hours ago, the persecuted church in Iran was hearing Jesus being preached. In three hours' time, I can guarantee that Jesus will be preached in Brazil. And in eight hours' time, People in California will be being taught about Jesus. Amazing. Nations heard about him and he's being believed on in the world. Here's here's the fifth item in our treasure box. See the fifth line? Was believed on in the world. At the time this letter was written, it, it was a time when people who'd seen Jesus crucified were still alive. It would have been so easy to disprove that he'd risen from the dead, if it were a made-up story. Or if it was just one of those myths that had gradually evolved over time. But he was believed on in the world, back then, when it would have been so easy to disprove, and he's still believed on today. That's down here. What about up there? Here's, Here's the last item in the treasure box. Was taken up in glory. He's in glory. And he's been raised up onto the throne and he rules. He's the king of the nations. Jesus is amazing. The truth about him is treasure. It's treasure. Now, if today you're sitting here not not as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if maybe you've come wondering about Christianity, what is this Christianity? Here's Here's the most important thing to know about it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's interesting how verse 16 phrases it. It says, the 
the mystery of godliness is great. And a mystery is something that appears. It was hidden and appears. What has appeared? Verse 16, he appeared. Do you see the emphasis? It's all about him. It's all about him. Our main message to you, if you're not a Christian, is not come and join in our club. Our main message isn't come and fit in with us and get the right lifestyle. No, our main message is see who Jesus is. Believe him. Be amazed at him. Live his way. That's treasure. We start with treasure. Secondly, we move on to pillar, a pillar. Now, children, are you listening still? Do you know what a pillar is? Can you imagine a pillar? What is a pillar for? What does a pillar do? Pillar, I'm not saying pillow, by the way. I'm not mispronouncing pillow. Pillar is something strong for holding things up. That's how I describe it. Something strong for holding things up. Maybe for displaying something. Daniel, let's have there we go do you do you recognize that pillar children have any of ever been to see that pillar in london it's nelson's column nelson's column it's a pillar for displaying something so back hundred well what a couple of hundred years ago people thought Nelson, that man on the top there, or at least the statue of him, is worth displaying so that everyone around can see him. And it also protects him. It protects him because some people might like to topple his statue and roll it into the River Thames, I suspect. I'm sure they can find some fault with Nelson, but they can't do it to him because he's protected up there. The pillar displays him and it protects him. When I say him, of course, I mean the statue. Okay, thank you, Daniel. Now, the treasure in verse 16 is so valuable, it's so important that everyone should see this treasure, that it's on a pillar to protect it, and it's on a pillar to display it for everyone to see. What is the pillar? This treasure is so great, it must have a really important, strong pillar to protect it and to display it. What is the pillar? Let's have a think of some possibilities. Christian publishers, it's great that we have so many Christian books and there's loads of them out there to help yourself to. We've got more than there have ever been before. That's good, but it's not the pillar. Christian conferences, really good, isn't it, to go to Christian conferences and hear good preachers and learn. That's great, but it's not the pillar. Christian unions, I'm not going to knock them. I'm glad we have Christian unions and that they spread the gospel the students. That's great, but they're not the pillar. Christian schools, they're good. If only we had more, there are too few. Children able to learn the truth, but they're not the pillar. The Christian Institute, that's a good organisation. It defends, uh, it, it promotes and tries to lobby for Christian laws and against bad laws. That's good, but it's not the pillar. None of those are the pillar that display and protect this treasure. What is the pillar? It's the local church. Verse 15. Verse 15. Paul says, I'm hoping to come to you, Timothy, um, but I'm going to write to you anyway, because verse 15, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. 
The church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, sometimes the word church is used in the Bible to mean all of God's people everywhere. But not here. Not here. In verse 14, we find Paul was hoping to visit Timothy. And Timothy was at a church in Ephesus. But he's writing this letter in case he's delayed so that Timothy knows what should happen in that church. How people should behave in that church. He's writing a letter to Timothy about how to lead a local church because Timothy is a leader of a local church. He's not a bishop of the worldwide church. There's no such thing in the Bible as a bishop of a worldwide church. He's a leader of a local church. The context is the local church. That's what the letter is about. It's a local group of believers in Jesus who have the characteristics of a church described in this letter. The pillar that displays the treasure that shows Jesus is the local church. The truth about Jesus is helped by Christian books and Christian unions and Christian conferences and Christian institute and Christian this, that and whatever. They're good. They help. But the truth about Jesus would survive without them. But the local church is the pillar that, like Nelson's column, it holds up the truth about Jesus. It displays and protects it. And without the local church, the truth about Jesus would fall to the ground. It would be trampled on and distorted. It would be obscured and not seen by everyone who needs him. And that has a big implication for us. That means something for us. It means this. If you are concerned for the truth about Jesus, you will be concerned for the local church. If you love the truth about Jesus, you'll want the pillar that holds that truth up to be strong. If you see that everyone needs Jesus, you want the pillar that displays him to be in good condition. You can't say, I love Jesus, but come on, we're hearing too much about the church. That that doesn't fit. If you love the truth about Jesus because you love him and you see we all need him, you'll not be treating the church as just a resource to give you things, but you'll be caring about the church's flourishing. You'll be eager to serve in the church. You'll be wanting to pray together with the church. You'll be arranging your activities in your life to enable you to prioritise being together as a church. You won't be doing this sort of thing. You know, there's a risk with COVID if I go to work, but I'll go to work because that matters. And there's there's a load of COVID around at school, but of course my children need to be educated, so I'll take the risk with COVID and they'll go. Um... But church, no, 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 there's a risk with COVID, so I'll stay away. Now, you won't do that because work and school matter and we can glorify God in them. They really are important and good, but they are not the pillar that displays Jesus. And that pillar requires people to come, actually be here and be part of the pillar because of what the pillar is. So let's move on. We've had treasure. And we've had a pillar. And thirdly, we have 
family, the family. The treasure is on the pillar, and the pillar is a family. Verse 15. Verse 15, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, it says God's household. It doesn't mean house like a brick building. It's not talking about this building and saying this building is God's house. No, the word household means family. And it's saying God's people together gathered together as a local church, are his family. And this is reality, not a picture. There are lots of pictures in in the Bible of the church. So the church is called a pillar, as we've just heard. And it's also called a body and a flock and a vine and a temple. And you could probably think of a body. There's all sorts of descriptions of the church. And they are all pictures Because the church isn't literally a pillar and it isn't literally a vine. They are pictures of characteristics of the church. But verse 15, the church is God's household, his family is not a picture. It's reality. Because the church is people God has adopted as his children. So they really are his family. We really are his family because he's adopted us as his children. Now, that means if today you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus, if you haven't turned from living your way to living his way, well, we're really glad you're here and you're very welcome. And please keep coming. But do realise this, you're not actually in the church. Yes, you're in the building, but you're not in the church. Because the church is God's family of those he has adopted as his children. But you are invited into his family. Yes, you are very definitely invited into his family. Because God is a very welcoming father. And he is eager to adopt more children. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus and turn from your way to his way, you'll find him to be a a welcoming, loving father. I can guarantee that. Family is a reality, not just a picture. And it means we are to act as a family. I, I want to pick up now on the illustration I gave last week. If you're here last week, you might remember I said the church is a family, not a restaurant. And I said, have a think about that and what what that means, what that means in practice. So I wonder if you did have a little think about the church is a family, not a restaurant. I want to pick up on that and think of what that means for us. Now, here are some examples. You go to the Toby Carvery in Forest Road and they serve you a meal and they're serving other people meals, too. But you don't feel under obligation to get to know those other people, do you? You can ignore them. And and if we're honest, they'd probably prefer, wouldn't they, to be ignored and not be interfered with. But the church isn't a restaurant. It's a family. We're brothers and sisters adopted by God. And that means we're not just people in the same building happening to be served at the same time, the food of God's word. No, we're to get to know each other and love each other, and care for each other. So ask yourself this question. Is there anyone else in this building now with whom you're on a restaurant level of relationship? 
Not a family level of relationship, but a restaurant level of relationship. Now you might say, there's an awful lot of people here. There's an awful lot of people here. How can I, how can I get to know all these people? Well, that's a good question. Well, you can make a start by, in our home groups, getting to know each other. Do you come along to a home group? Coming to the prayer meeting and hearing people's needs and praying for our family business, spreading the gospel. Inviting people to your home. You can make a start, but yeah, it is difficult to get to know when there's such a big group of people. Maybe we also need to consider whether the church should be smaller. If it's right in saying you can't act as a family with such a big group of people, well, one thing for sure is the Bible says we should act as a family. So maybe there's some questions there. But it's for sure that we should act as a family, not on a restaurant level of relationship. Here's another thing it means. You go to the Toby Carvery one week, oh, that's nice. But the next week you get a pay rise and you think, I'll try somewhere better. I'll go to Browns Lane. I've never been to Browns Lane. I don't know if it is better than Toby Carvery, but it looks posher. I'll go to Browns Lane. I might get some nicer food there. Well, you can do that with a restaurant, can't you? That's no problem. There's, there's no problem with that. You're not under commitment to be loyal to the Toby Carvery. But not with a family. You can't decide, can you, that you're going to go to your next door neighbours from now onwards because you've heard they've got better food. No, family means commitment, not picking and choosing. And the commitment is on basis on the basis of the relationship to the father. Who he chooses to adopt, not who we choose to get on with because we notice something similar. Here's another one. I hope your family has a fairly open home. Christians are to be hospitable. I hope you have visitors round and you welcome people in. But I presume you know who family is. While there are other people who come and go and they're very welcome and maybe they come and go a lot... I presume you know who family is, and it's clear who is family. Well, the church is to be an open home, welcoming people in, absolutely anyone in. But it is also to be clear who family is. In the New Testament, baptism and the Lord's Supper were two markers of who is family. Who was baptised to mark their coming into the family, and who eats together as the Lord's Supper? Who's together at our family meal? Well, they should be similar markers for us too. But we also have a membership system which is trying to be clear who is family, who is in the church. Now, it's not because we want to add bureaucracy. It's not because we've thought the Bible isn't formal enough and we love formality at Hollywell. No, it's not that. It's because people sometimes move. And they might move from Birmingham or from Beijing and turn up at Hollywell. And we need to find out, is there evidence that God has welcomed them into his family, adopted them as his children? And if so, well, we should welcome them into this part of his family here. So if you think, if you think of yourself as part of this church, is is that something you've decided for yourself? Or do you know what the leadership of the church's attitude to that is? It's very interesting and significant. These verses are in a chapter about church leadership. Did you notice that? 1 Timothy 3 is about church leadership. This family has leadership. 
Has the leadership of the church made clear, we welcome you as part of this family? You can't decide for yourself you're part of God's family. So please, if you, if you think of yourself as part of the church and you haven't done this yet, please speak to the elders about membership as a way of making clear you're part of the family. One more thing, one more thing about the church as, as, the, as family. Whose family is it? Whose family is it? Verse 15 is very clear. God's household, which is the church of the living God. It's God's family. Wow, that's amazing. If you want to meet a father, where's a sensible, sensible place to look? It's family. Where should a father love to be? With his family. God is with his family. If you want to find God, a sensible place to look is with his family. God is with his family. I wonder if you've ever had this. At work on Monday, someone says to you, what did you do for the weekend? And you say, "Mm, nothing much. Ever had that? Yeah, well, nothing, nothing much. Nothing much. We met as the family of God to listen to our father. To act as his family. To expect the Lord Jesus to be with us. Now, I don't know how you'd get that across to an unbeliever, but sure, sure you could say better than nothing much, can't you? Nothing much. To be the family of God. To act as his family together, Sunday by Sunday. That's a great thing. The church is the household, the family of the living God. I've been trying to persuade you this. Jesus is amazing. Value the treasure. And because you value the truth about Jesus, value the church, the pillar that protects and displays the truth. And because it's the pillar that protects and displays the truth about Jesus, let's make sure we act as the family of the living God.